Good morning, friends. Good morning. It's Monday, November 9th. Happy Monday. We are continuing our review of the lesson this week, Worship in Education. And today we are going to segue into a kind of a different topic. Um, and the heading is, and declare them to their children. And declare them to their children. And I want to share something with you. Where I grew up in a small rural community, um, you'd find pockets of individuals who, who practiced what in my mind was a curious profession. While you hardly ever saw them, you could tell where they lived by the telltale white or, or red or black flags, you know. And there was always some inscription on it, and it was usually a psalm. And so growing up in that community, when someone said that they were going to read a psalm for you, you know you were in, big, in for big trouble. Mm. You see, people equated a psalm as something one could use to cast a spell on you. <laughs> How deceptive and downright treacherous Satan can be. So today, we're going to look at the topic, as I said, and declare them to their children. But before we do, I want to talk a little about the Psalms. So we have 150 Psalms that was in the Bible that was written over a span of mm, close to a thousand years. As I got to reading the Psalms, friends, I realized that they were beautiful lessons in themselves. You see, the Psalms offer us a way to rejoice in prayer and to bow in worship and, and to exalt God for all he does and for all his blessings to us. You see, the Psalms, they help us to praise God. The Psalms, they help us to pray to God and to plead and to petition his throne of grace. You see, the Psalms, they give us a, a means to come to prayer in a, in a fresh state of mind. They enable us to see that we are not the first or the only person to feel that God is silent when we pray. Or when you read some of the psalm, friends, you realize that, that, that you're not the first or, or only person to feel immense anguish and, and bewilderment when praying. Did you realize in his dying moments, Jesus quoted Psalm 22 and verse 1. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at Psalm 22 verse 1. That's what it says. And sometimes we too feel alone and, and helpless like God is far away. And we whisper, why art thou so far from helping me, O God? Why art thou so far from the words of my roaring the psalm speaks to the entire spectrum of human experience. In the psalm, you can rejoice, you can fear, you can get angry, you can love. You can experience just about any emotion in the psalm. The psalm gives room for expressions that you may want to give. You can laugh. You can shout, you can be silent, you can play an instrument, you can weep, you can, you, can, you can sigh, you can cry out, you can yell, bellow, roar, just about anything else. You can do that along with the psalm. 
they join you in a timeless community of praise. When you when you pray the when you pray and, and, and read a psalm, friend, you are joining with thousands of years of prayer. These were the same prayers that were prayed by the apostles themselves. Jesus even prayed the psalm. Why wouldn't you want to read the prayers that Jesus prayed? They are beautiful. They speak to the soul more than even the mind. They speak to the very heart. The psalm, they challenge us. There, there are some places in the psalm that are sometimes hard to deal with. But reading through the psalm is a good way to force yourself to come face to face with some of the uncomfortable things about the Bible, what you don't understand about God, about human nature itself. They, they, they give us words for others. You know, sometimes when you're faced with ministering to someone who's suffering and even dying, you don't sometimes even know what to say. You don't have an answer for their sorrow, but you do have the words of the Psalms. You know, there, there are just a few things I think that has the power to give people peace in the midst of a trial, like the Psalm. You know, there's no words that could really offer that comfort, nothing comes close like a psalm. The psalm, they carry us. You know, in our own lives, sometimes it's hard to pray. And the psalms, they give words and prayers when we can't even muster the words ourselves. And I'd like to think that the, the psalm, they create sacred mental space. You know, you have people who have memorized huge chunks of the psalm and when they find themselves in a place of confusion and despair and doubt, they just recount a psalm that they have memorized. And then there are the psalms that are instructional. And as parents, as teachers, some of us, as older women and older men who are instructing younger women and younger men, we are all called to be instructional, you know, and it is critical as we teach our children and as we teach the next generation and the generation following, if when we start teaching them about who they should worship and how they should worship, we find importance in the in the title of this lesson and declare them to their children. And that's what we're going to look at today. The lesson tells us that the psalm in the Old Testament came to play a critical role in the religious life of ancient Israel. They were recited, they were sung, they were, you know, often with musical instrument, the lesson tells us. And during times of worship, especially public worship, persons would use the psalm. And today we're going to focus on Psalm 78 and specifically on verses 1 to 17. Psalm 78, the second longest psalm in the whole book of Psalms. So what is essential about Psalm 78? It's a psalm of wisdom. Psalm 78 is history in prose and song. And it carefully, I'd like to say it carefully recounts God's mighty acts to his children, to his chosen covenant people. You see, from the time in Egypt to the Exodus, all the way down to the time of David is recounted in Psalm 78. The key here 
is that the first seven to eight verses, which is a call, is the seven to eight verses, I see it as a call to pass on this knowledge. And then there's a cycle of the wilderness experience and, and Israel's on again, off again relationship with God and God's judgment and his mercy. And then it closes with some very precious promises. But I want us to notice how the psalm begins. In verse 1, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Friends, when someone says, Give ear, hmm, it's more than just saying, I want you to hear me. No, it's saying, I want you to listen carefully to me. You can hear me speaking to you through my law. Incline your ear. In other words, lean forward, straighten up and pay attention. So that's how the psalm starts. Then verse 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. The lesson tells us that the word dark doesn't mean ominous, but dim or fading. You know, sometimes things get lost as the years go by. And so is history, you know. So it's crucial, it's crucial that, that, that you pass it on because as you go further and further back in time, you forget things. In other translation, dark is referred to as secret or sweet old truths. You know, kind of like a riddle or a, or a perplexing saying. I remember there was a saying mom always talked. She said, hmm, the longest liver will see the most. You ask her a question. She never answered. She said, the longest liver will see the most. Oh my goodness. I was, I, I was always thinking, liver? How can the liver see? It's an organ in my body. But as I grew older, I realized mom was saying, I don't have to explain this to you right now. As you grow older, you will see and understand for yourself. So sometimes you had these little riddles shrouded in secrecy. And so as you read the psalm, as the stories were told, as they were passed down through generations, sometimes they were quoted in secrecy that only those who were really ready to understand would understand. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from our children, telling to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. You see, friends, it was important that they remembered the past, not a watered-down version of the accounts of the past, but the undiluted truth. We too have a responsibility to tell our children, this is how God has worked in our lives. What a testimony when a child can hear firsthand what God has done in the life of someone that he or she looks up to. You know, with earnest passion, we can recount how God has led us out of a place of torment and through a time in our lives when there was nothing but emptiness and barrenness, you know, like a wilderness experience. Yet he created streams in a desert. This is what God has done in our lives in the past. And of a surety, we can trust him. You can trust him. Our children can trust him. 
with their future. That's why we need to tell it to our children. Why were they to teach these precious truths at the end of verse 6? It tells us that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. You know, I'm reminded of Samuel's action in 1 Samuel 7 verse 12 after God had wrought a mighty victory over their enemies. The text says, and Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Did you hear that, friends? And Samuel took a stone and set it, not for worship, but as a monument of the victory obtained by the help of God. And this place, you know, he, he, he placed it between Mizpah and Shen, and he called the name of it Ebenezer, which signify the stone of help. So that at that same place where the Israelites were beaten twice by the Philistines and the ark was taken, same place is where salvation was wrought for them. He said, hitherto had the Lord help us. This was just the beginning of their deliverance from the Philistines. And all of it was owed to the help of God. And so Samuel began, so as, as God began to help them, they hoped and encouraged themselves that God would continue to help them until their deliverance was completed. And Samuel and the people knew it was their duty to acknowledge what God had done for them and to perpetuate the memory of it. Of course, they weren't sure what he was going to do for them going forward, yet they were thankful for this instance of his goodness and they hoped for more. And they had their dependence on him for future success against their enemies. Friends, let us establish an Ebenezer today in our children, a place in history where they can look back and also recount for generations to come God's goodness in our lives. Future generations must, must be reminded, friends, of God's goodness, his love, his mercy. They need to know the word of God and teach this word continually to their children so that they too will walk in obedience to God. Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. What is the goal of Christian education? It's to pass the message of God's love on and on, generations following to our children. May God bless us as we seek to pass on the message of hope, 
the message of deliverance, the message of a God who cares, the message of a God who is ever present, the message of a God who loves, the message of a God who judges. And I pray that as we do that, our children in turn will pass it on to their children for generations following. God bless you.